Welcome to the Hearsmith Podcast, live from the vault. I am Chad Coleman, here with my co-host and uh, Hearsmith badass, uh, DeAndre Dow uh, from NoCap.World. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, Chad. Oh, it's great, man. I'm super excited to finally start doing this podcast, man. We've been talking about doing this for, oh, goodness, I don't know, months now. And then we happened to run into a little thing called the pandemic. Maybe you all have heard of it. Right. <laughs> right. It's kind of strange, right? Like we were putting the pieces together and then it was like, uh, pause. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Everyone's life is on pause. So, um, but yeah. So welcome to the Earthsmith uh, Life in the Vault podcast. Uh, this podcast is, uh, this is our first episode, obviously, and the idea behind this podcast is to give folks out there a raw and unfiltered look at the world of entrepreneurship, business, and a little bit about the absurdity of modern life. We all can certainly feel that now. Um, obviously, like, the country has been overtaken by the COVID pandemic, and and so, uh, you know, we, we've obviously got to address that it's such a huge issue in the community. And, um, you know, here at Harrismith, we work with so many small businesses that I, I, I know I'm sure everyone's like, please, please, no more podcasts about COVID. It's not a podcast about COVID, but we are going to definitely talk about its uh, impact on small businesses. And it was actually really interesting. I um, was, you know, doing some research to get started, and this pretty cool organization called Main Street America um, did this really uh, pretty extensive survey of small businesses. And it's one of the newer surveys that I've seen, so I thought I'd share some of that that data. And we can, <clears throat> pardon me, we can talk about, um, you know, what uh, w- what things look like going forward for small businesses because. Um, you know, we're here uh, coming to you from Denver, Colorado, and uh, and um, Colorado is a small business state. Absolutely. It ranks actually top 20 in terms of places to start a small business. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, it, some, I mean, when we were forming Smith, I, I did some research and, and uh, just looking at the entrepreneurial numbers, because obviously we, we focus on working with those folks, especially small businesses and startups. Um, Colorado is like crazy entrepreneurial, 97.6% of all businesses in Colorado are small businesses. That's crazy. And, you know, I mean, uh, if there are a lot of people you'll hear talking about small businesses on the news and stuff, and a lot of people don't realize, like, usually they are talking about businesses with less than 500 people. That's the, uh, SBA's definition of a, of a small business, um, for me, like 500 people is a uh, pretty damn big business. You know, like that's not, <laughs> you know, I don't really consider that small. I mean, most of the members we work with have, uh, you know, either one or two employees. Some of them have like maybe, uh, uh, maybe like 10, 15 max. And, uh, and so, um, but anyway, the interesting thing that I found in actually my research for Herosmith was that in Colorado, though, of the, I think it was like, let's see, I got the number here, six. 174,000, almost 675,000, really, um, small businesses in Colorado, uh, making up that 97.6% of all businesses, 84% of them uh, have either one employee, meaning it's like a solopreneur, or uh, or, or just one other, like a co-founder kind of thing, right? right. One or two employees. Right. That's it's crazy. That's huge. It's you a know? startup, man. You got to start somewhere. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's like, 
And it's the the crazy thing about it is is that um, when you think about the impact that that could have on the economy here, um, you know, it's it's kind of kind of frightening. I mean, I don't want to freak everybody out, but uh, so anyway, yeah, I was talking about this survey from Main Street America. It's available right on their website. It I think it's mainstreamamerica.com. I should have probably put that in here. It is. It's just mainstreet.org actually. Pardon me. So it was pretty interesting. Um, you know, they're trying to really measure the full impact of COVID-19. And um, so they did this online survey. And I think they had, let's see, 5,850 people, uh, small business owners responded, um, which is actually, believe it or not, that I know that number doesn't sound huge, but for these kind of surveys, that's a pretty good, mm-hmm. pretty good amount. Um, so, uh, and they were all over the country. Um, 90% of these businesses had fewer than 20 employees. Um, 65.5% had fewer than five employees. So, 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 you know, obviously keep that data in mind as I give you these numbers, but that's, um, but yeah, there's some, some, some disturbing trends that came out of that 60% of the people that did the survey said that they have less than five months remaining, uh, of, of their business surviving five months um that's that's frightening considering that you know we're really in month two and you know we're looking at you know this thing could go on and reoccur in the fall and uh um so that's that's a frightening number when you consider that uh you know uh there are five months and and just think about the number of employees i mean we've already got over 33 million people who've applied for um for, uh, what do you call it? Uh, unemployment. unemployment. I believe it's actually um, up to 36 million officially as of this morning, Chad, which is, once again, is showing no signs of slowing down, even yeah. though the economy, you know, all across the board, as far as America is concerned, cities and states starting to ease restrictions a little bit. But now we're dealing with, I don't even want to call it the aftermath, really, but more so the new reality that we're facing. Good point. Yeah. It is a new reality for sure. And and so the the scary part about that number, you, like you said, thirty six million people on unemployment. If we've still got sixty percent of our small businesses that are are trying to hang on by the hair of their chinny chin chin, um, that number could easily double. Um, so one of the stats that really caught my eye was that um, was that uh, the nation's approximately thirty million small businesses. Nearly 7.5 million small businesses may be at risk of permanently closing over the next five months. So that's that's another 7.5. Uh, if you if they were all sole proprietorships, one person's businesses, there's another 7.5 million. But we know that uh, most of these businesses had more uh, five uh, or more employees. So um, we could we could easily get up into the 60 million if uh, if you know, the government and, uh, and really all of us, uh, don't do more to support small businesses. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, is like, uh, it's, you know, or I know all of us, I mean, everyone I've met has been really great. And I, I gotta say like here in Denver, we have such a tight knit small business community, startup community. It's so great. I mean, you got, really great organizations to bring in together. We have one of the largest uh, um, startup events in the country that's free. We have the largest startup event in Denver Startup Week. And and um, so I know people here are, 
um, you know, uh, trying to do their best to, to utilize these small businesses. But it's tough, man, because like you've got, you know, you've got the Home Depots and the Lowe's and the and the uh, and companies like that that can remain open. Right. But then the mom and pop hardware store, you know, they they they've had to close and it's it's uh, pretty ridiculous. Right. You bring up a, a crazy point, Chad, because it's something that's been running through my mind, you know, um, just nonstop since this whole pandemic really got started is um, the states will determine what businesses are essential. But for those business owners, their business is essential. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's right. like you can call me non-essential if you want, but uh, it's pretty essential to me right. eating some food every day. They're paying maybe. employees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's totally, it's, 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 a, it's a weird state we're in. I think, you know, I do not envy our governor because. <laughs> <laughs> that is the craziest job in the world probably right now, man. Well, especially with the lack of leadership from, from Washington, it's uh, governors have become, you know, uh, the de facto leaders, you know, for the state you're in. And, uh, you know, I, I really, generally speaking, I like Jared Polis. I think he's a good governor. I mean, he hasn't, and they're that long, but I think he's been great thus far. And I know for him, it's got to be tough because uh, Governor Paulus is, is a former you know founder. He's a startup guy. I think he started one of the big flower companies. I don't want to be corrected, so I'm gonna. It's one of those large you know order flowers online businesses and a few other really successful businesses. So we know he's pro business, right? And I think that really helped him get elected. Colorado is such a weird state in terms of politics. We've got. We've got the the blue. We got two giant blue dots in the middle, uh, Denver and Boulder, and then uh, uh, surrounded by a lot of red. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're definitely a forward thinking, free spirited state. Yeah. So I think that reflects in those numbers. Yeah, it's interesting. Before I moved out here, and I was just kind of a visitor in Colorado, it was interesting because um, we have this kind of different mindset. Our our forward thinking has definitely got a a touch of like rugged individualism, you know, like uh, just, you know, I hate to say live and let live in a climate like this, but that kind of attitude, you know, like Mm -hmm. let me do my thing. Don't get in my way and I won't get in yours kind of thing. And um, you know, all that stuff is great in theory. um, But when you have like a pandemic, obviously we get into, uh, you know, having to band together and and work together. And um, you know, so I don't envy the governor. He's had, he's had a tough, um, you know, go of it. And I know he's trying to do everything he can to, uh, you know, let businesses that can safely open, uh, open again. And I, you know, um, I know that there's people kind of looking cross-eyed at Herosmith right now, since we reopened on, on the 11th of May. Um, I'm sure there are people out there that are a little surprised by that, but you know, the nature of what we do and how we do it allows us to really work. Our whole thing is like collaborating one-on-one with the experts to get your marketing, um, and design work done affordably and high quality. So, wow, that rolled off the tongue quite well. Um, um, (laughs) but you know, the thing is, is that, um, so we're able to kind of do that in a socially distant way. I mean, I did a website for someone yesterday and sat, you know, easily sat six feet apart and we both had our masks on and, and it went really well. I think people are like craving a little one personal, actually being in person. A little Absolutely. Bit. Um, but, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's a tough decision and it's tough for every business owner. And, and I know I didn't, it's not something I did lightly and we're trying to take all the precautions we can, but, it's really frustrating when, um, you know, this is your lifeline and, uh, it, it stops. So 
you know, um, so yeah, so I just want to be uh, informative and, and 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 helpful. I want to give you some resources before we we finish up today, and um, uh, and uh, that maybe can help your business um, in terms of funding and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, so you know, it's really interesting. Like, what do we need? That that that's the kind of thing like uh, that I got out of the survey that was really interesting. Is like. Yeah, money is great. We need money. I mean, that's that's just the reality of the situation. But I was kind of curious. I, w- I was happy to see this study from Main Street America. They asked people what they wanted. 70% said they wanted financial assistance or at least information about how to get financial assistance mm-hmm. um, over the next 90 days. Mm-hmm. And then the other big ask, of course, was, 60, was 65.7%. Uh, want penalty-free extensions on expenses like rent, utilities, and supplies, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you know it's just, mm-hmm. it's so weird, DeAndre, because it's like it's such a it's a it's a it's a chain effect. Like I get that I I would love to have free rent for this month. I didn't quite get that, but my landlord did help me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, but uh, you know it's a chain effect. You know if I don't pay my landlord, and then how does he pay his employees? You know it's right. He's got to answer to the banks. He's got to answer to the institutions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. And um, and so it's 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 a, it's quite the dilemma. Um, you know, I, I think it's certainly making us all take a look at things through a different lens. You know, um, are you, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think we ever talked about a universal basic income, uh, which is this concept uh, that uh, was really popular popularized by Andrew Yang former um, Democratic presidential candidate. And, um, you know, he basically, his, he, he believes even before the pandemic that uh, the answer to sort of our, our pending and, and current economic woes was to literally give every single American $1,000 a month stipend. Mm-hmm. And, um, and everyone thought he was insane and 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 i think honestly like if he had picked like any other sort of progressive idea to found his campaign around he would have done much better because people really liked his style he's no nonsense business guy entrepreneur Mm -hmm. um but that idea sounded so radical just like three months ago right and now it's like fast uh, forward yeah (laughs) (laughs) we live in it Uh, yeah hey and it's crazy because when he introduced that concept, it was seen as radical. But now you speak on $1,000 and the one-time $1,200 stimulus check that Americans received if you were basically paid under, I believe, like under $100,000 a year. Yeah, 75000 um, for individuals, right. And now they're working couples. on a whole new stimulus package because they're seeing that that wasn't enough. Yeah, I still right. haven't even gotten my first one yet. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. saw a great tweet the other day. Uh, you know, Trump is going on one of his uh, tweet rage rampages. Uh, I always imagine him for some reason sitting on the White House toilet uh, and, and and rage tweeting. Uh, but it's quite disturbing. I, I wake up in a cold sweat when that happens. But, but uh, you know, I, I loved it because somebody replied to one of his tweets and just said, you're sure tweeting a lot for somebody that owes me $1,200. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. How do you have time to do this during a pandemic? Yeah. Right? And just to speak a little bit on um, the new stimulus package that's currently in the process and being discussed. Um, this is going to be potentially $2,000 a month for every single American that's earning under $130,000 okay. every single year for at least 
six months whenever that starts. Yeah. And then as soon as that six months is over with, to my understanding, according to the information that I've been able to, you know, pretty much take in, that will continue until the economy and the unemployment numbers get back down to numbers prior to the coronavirus. Oh, my gosh. So yeah. that, who knows how long that could be. Yeah, that could easily be a year right. or more, and 18 months. When are they going to um, determine when the whole coronavirus even started? <laughs> well, yeah. Or or what is a, is there an official ending? <laughs> right. Like, there is no, like, that's the thing. I don't think there's going to be an official ending until nah. we have like basically immunity because so many people have gotten it. You know? I feel like this is going to be the modern day HIV and AIDS back yeah. in the early, you know, mm-hmm. late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have drawn those parallels and I think it's pretty, pretty apt parallel, uh, but even scarier just because you could do, you know, there was some risky behavior, obviously, you know, not using protection and things like that, that could, could, that helped the AIDS epidemic spread and the HIV epidemic. Um, this, you don't have to do any of that stuff. You could just literally like, uh, you know, the wrong person could breathe on you, (laughs) you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of wild. Um, but yeah, no, what you're speaking about, about the, 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 the new stimulus package, I hadn't actually heard that yet, but no, that's fascinating. Um, I'm curious to see, cause like, you know, let's face it. This is, um, every Republicans like nightmare. I mean, uh, Mitch McConnell, will have a cow if they have to pay every American um, $2,000 a month for, for six months or eight months. But you think the government's going to forget about that check though? Oh, right there. Yeah. They're probably, it's probably, I can't remember. Did you ever, do you know if the, the, the stimulus money that we got, does that count as income on your taxes? Right. That's. And once again, in my personal situation, I've never really been able to rely on the government per se. In my whole story of being, being able to breathe, you know, guys green and everything. But um, that's going to be interesting to see uh, moving forward. I think people are in the moment right now just thinking about more so necessity as opposed to 2021 taxes. I know. Right. Yeah. And th- and I agree. Like, I am totally pro them doing that. I think they need to give a stipend to every single American above 18. You know, I mean, obviously, there will be some uh, obviously income exceptions if you came into this whole thing uh, as a multimillionaire and or, or pulling in, you know, 200K last year, you probably can get by, um, at least for a while. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm totally pro them doing that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, uh, but I just know that in Washington, I mean, there's going to be a lot of, uh, of uh, pushback on that. And with the leadership we have up there right now, and essentially, the, frankly, the Republicans having a, a complete control, um, except for over the House, which, you know, kind of relies on the Senate. Um, but even though we need it, even though it should be done, even though it seems obvious, I think to most people, uh, you know, who, who, even if they normally wouldn't endorse such a thing, um, these are extraordinary circumstances. So I hope it gets done. And, um, if anything, I mean, the worst case scenario is that we find out if the idea of universal basic income, uh, does anything. I mean, the, the whole idea behind it is that, you know, you give people this sort of base level income um, that uh, kind of gives them a little more freedom mm-hmm. to because um, you can't survive. I mean, uh, you know, Andrew Yang was talking about a thousand dollars a month in America today. You cannot survive on a thousand dollars a month. No, nah, not with rent averaging in between, I believe, 12 to 
roughly fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars a month on average. Yeah, definitely. And then like in Colorado and places like New York City and Denver, it's even more, right? <laughs> yeah, for sixteen hundred dollars, you can get a, a you know four hundred and fifty square foot studio right? in Denver. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, no, I you're right, and it's and but the idea is that that um, is actually founded on some pretty good solid principles. The idea, obviously, is that opposed to um, what Republicans have been selling people for years, this trickle-down economics things, which, by the way, has been proven not to work several times. Basically, every time we've done it, we've followed that period um, where they've given these huge tax cuts to corporations and the wealthy. It's been followed up by, obviously, massive debt. Um, and then um, it's almost always causes a recession. There's not really one great example where the the, the conservative philosophy of let's cut taxes on the wealthy and then that will trickle down, quote unquote, um, that, that, you know, if you really look at the science and, 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 and any legitimate economists that look at this, they, it, it has not worked, but what has worked and we've only tried it a few times because, because, uh, the, the corporations that frankly, um, have way too much influence over our government, uh, have only, uh, it's only, there's only been a few instances where they could actually, um, we could try the other way. And the other philosophy is essentially that the economy actually builds from the middle out. So if you have a robust middle class that does well, they spend more money that drives up GDP, um, you know, and, and, and the economy grows and that has actually been proven to work really well. Um, you know, the, the, the famous economic boom of the nineties during the Clinton administration, they did just that. They went in, they, um, they, they incentivized and lowered taxes on the middle class, raised it on the, on the upper class and the economy exploded because there was just so much capital in the system. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of us, um, in this world, well, pre-pandemic, or most of us in America, I should say, are quote unquote middle class. And I think that's, I think that there's a scary trend that the middle class is getting smaller and smaller right. after 20 years of, 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 uh, you know, trickle down economics. But I would even argue, Chad, that I believe the middle class, I don't know if there'll be a middle class, um, in the coming years to tell you the absolute truth, depending on, yeah. you know, events that occur or whatever. But I believe that it'll be a rich, there'll be a poor. And the yeah. super wealthy. Yeah. Really, really? I mean, uh, yeah, if we're talking macro stuff, I, I totally uh, live in fear of that reality. And and the thing about that is, I think you're right. I mean, if things keep going the way they're going, and we keep letting giant corporations and the, and the super rich control our economy, um, there will be no more middle class eventually. Um, already the, what is considered middle class is, is eroded, um, you know, massively just even before the pandemic, um, right. you know, with automation and, and I mean, listen, when I was born, uh, I'm older than, than you, but when I was born, uh, and, and really into the mid eighties, one could go to high school and, uh, get a decent job that could support a family and, you know, have a normal sort of middle-class life, buy a car, buy a house, um, you know, just by getting, getting a job at a factory or something like that, or, or getting a trade obviously. And, and um, you just can't do that anymore. 
I mean, uh, you know, you've got really, you've got the, the, you've got the college option, which is ridiculously expensive. And then you've got, um, entrepreneurship is a great option. I think one of the, the best alternatives to college can, can be entrepreneurship. Yes, sir. And, and obviously combined with college could be great too. Um, but, um, and then, you know, so, but yeah, the middle class has been shrinking and my fear is that, oh, fuck it. I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's not even really, I'm, I'm actually, this is going to be controversial, but I actually think the mega wealthy and the mega rich that, that, uh, and, and the, those folks in those corporations, um, I think they've, they've taken control of, of a, the majority of the Republican party and even some of the democratic party. Um, and I don't think they give a fuck about the middle class. I don't think that the mega wealthy care if there's a middle class. I mean, in the abstract. Right. And obviously, um, these large corporations that are furloughing their employees when they have access to billion dollars worth of liquid in their accounts would be a clear indication of that. And I don't know how you can sit there and say that there's a middle class and over 50% of Americans pre pandemic are living paycheck to paycheck yeah yeah what's the i've heard the stat like you know the the average american household is like one four hundred dollar unexpected expense away from essentially bankruptcy whether they would actually declare it or not you know be a different thing but um that's auto repair that's a car payment that's insurance kid uh medical bill yeah exactly daycare it's crazy and and um Man, I didn't think we'd talk this much about politics, but it's all good. I don't care. Uh, if you know me, you know I, I I've been studying politics for over thirty years and and paying attention to this kind of stuff. So it's going to happen. So I might as well not avoid it. Um, but but yeah, no. Um, so the thing is, is that I honestly don't believe that. I think that the there's a certain segment of the uber wealthy and uh, and 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 the corporate um, elite, if you will that would be absolutely fine with a, a um, with basically virtually no middle class and literally just uh, two classes of the uh, super wealthy or at least the well, super wealthy might be uh, an exaggeration, but like the wealthy or the rich and a, uh, and a poor class. Yes, sir. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, almost like a servant class uh, to serve them. And, I mean, if you look at their economic policy, it seems like, you know, it's pretty aimed squarely at, at, uh, at, at really, you know, um, harming the middle class. And, 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 and it has been that way really since the, the early 80s. Um, so, yeah. So I and that's that's a scary thought. I think that in the abstract, they might they might not like it. Obviously, they wouldn't confess to that. They would all say, yes, we need a robust middle class. But mm-hmm. um, but I don't think they actually care about that. And um, as long as they have people that they cheap labor to clean their houses and their pools, um, they are going to be fine. They're not really going to give a crap uh, if the as long as they can get the, the labor that they want to do the things that they need and to work in their factories and whatnot. They are not uh, super. They're not going to care if, if that person I mean, they should. It's the exact opposite of what they should do. But but I, there's no evidence to suggest that they actually care if that person can raise a family and send their kids to college and afford kind of the basics, you know? They care about that bottom dollar. Yeah. We do know that. So, yeah. <laughs> so with all that being said, Chad, because 
it's pretty daunting when we talk about, you know, because we're basically just scratching the surface in terms of this new reality that we're facing, right? And I would say unless you're in a fortunate enough position to where, let's say, you were born into wealth or you were pretty much, let's say, into legacy as far as being fortunate enough to pretty much assume ownership or equity of a business with family, I would say there's also a large percentage of us as entrepreneurs that are technically, quote unquote, considered middle class that are starting businesses. So how would you how would you help the entrepreneurs and business owners alike moving forward, particularly the particularly those considered small businesses? How can they help themselves in times like this if they're not able to rely on their government? Yeah, well, you know, I think entrepreneurs are actually the answer to a lot of our economic woes. Um, and, you know, I do think that government should do everything they can to assist. I think the PPP thing was obviously controversial and there was a lot of fraud, but I think by and large in the second round, it's gone a little bit better. Um, but aside from that, um, here's the thing, here's the reality of the situation. Um, entrepreneurship three months ago, um, was a lifestyle choice. You know, if you were like me and you, you know, if you were the maybe a little bit rebellious and uh, and a little bit, uh, you know, looking toward the future, um, you you might have started a business and wanted to have an impact on the world. I think that's a reason a lot of us do that. Um, and so it was a lifestyle choice, though. We either of us could easily. Well, not so easily, but could go out and get some sort of job. And frankly, our lives would be easier. <laughs> you know, I, I sort of, there are some days I'll admit, I, I love being an entrepreneur, but there are some days when I think I, you know, when it's, I'm, I look down at my watch and, Oh crap, it's, it's seven o'clock. And I am, I'm like, you know, still an hour from getting out of here um, or stopping working. Uh, you know, but, but I think that the thing is, is that, um, um, it used to be a choice. That was a conscious choice that we made. Entrepreneurship going forward, frankly, I believe, DeAndre, that entrepreneurship is a survival skill. Absolutely. I think you hit that right on the head, man. And um, to take a quote from my man Fabulous over there on the East Coast in Brooklyn. He said, those that learn to stay afloat make boats. Right. That's great. You see what I'm I love saying? that. Yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. that goes along the lines of what you just said. It's going to be more so survival than anything but as an entrepreneur man like we take that leap of faith yeah and we are fearless in that sense mm -hmm. you see what i'm saying it's all about totally. the mindset yeah and i think it's really on us and that's part of the reason we're doing this podcast I, I you know i think it's on folks like us that have been there done that and 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 uh, been on the uh you know the entrepreneurial journey for a while now i think that uh we have to em embrace these new folks that are going to be heading our way um so essentially, I think that everyone uh, is going to have to find alternate sources of incomes. Maybe you still have, you know, some sort of job through your company if you're lucky enough that you didn't get laid off. Um, you know, a lot of companies have, have, have like sort of like partially furloughed, moved people from full time to part time. I think that, uh, you know, going forward, you're going to have to develop everyone essentially everyone um who's not already uh, accumulated a lot of wealth is going to have to start developing their uh, alternative uh sources of income they're going to have to really start a business whether it's full-time or, or not there it, it's just the it's just the reality of the situation there's just no way um 
you know, uh, uh, that we can, you know, you, one will be able to survive without having some of the skills uh, that entrepreneurs have. And that that's actually pre pandemic. That was a, that's kind of the, one of the big um, reasons for starting Harrismith was that I believe that with automation and AI um, hadn't here really being here already and having a huge effect on the economy already. Um, uh, and just with that increasing over time and becoming more the standard, um, I saw entrepreneurship as being an, a, a, a survival skill maybe in five years. And now I'm, I'm saying that, you know, within five months or right, right now. <laughs> that's, an, that's been expedited. Yeah, that's been expedited. <laughs> so it's, it's scary. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting. I know that a lot of people have a lot of fear around entrepreneurship. Um, and I think that way more people have always wanted to do it, um, but maybe, you know, had reasons to not do it family reasons you know income reasons complacency complacency comfort oh yeah there's, there's all those well i think those early adopters i think the earlier basically you become entrepreneurial and start a business whether it's a full-time thing for you or it's just a side hustle that that can generate some income um the better off you're going to be because it's going to be uh we're going to be at the point where you sort of need to have multiple side hustles or businesses uh, bringing in revenue um, to, to just make it. You know, it's going to be interesting, Chad, is to see how many of the 36 million Americans actually are even offered their former job, how many of them actually return to their former employer, and how many are actually forced into becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It could oh, all absolutely. be a blessing in disguise. You really got to look at the silver lining in all of this, especially with the work from home business models, which I believe is going to be the wave of the future. And we'll touch on that a little bit later on. Sure. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're absolutely spot on there um, with the work from home stuff. And, and just the idea that, um, that we can, you know, that as individuals, we're not going to be able to rely on those corporate relationships or corporate jobs like we did before. You know, we saw this with with the uh, 2008 crash. You know, everyone cut back, and and these giant corporations got billions of dollars in in, in our money, tax money. Um, and then and then, what did they do in the end? Did they did they hire back everyone that they that they they let go? Hell no. They hired back the people that they needed to. And they realized, oh, well, maybe we could trim some fat here and there. And, and, so, and so when they realized, oh, well, you know, a, a, a few of these people obviously weren't essential to our business and we've been able to kind of survive without them, then those people had to find jobs. And we were just starting to come out of that, um, you know, before this whole thing hit, honestly, even 10 years later, you right. know. Um, because while, you know, we've, we've all been bragging and, and the Trump administration has been bragging about this excellent economy, I think it's a false, I think the emperor wears no clothes. You know, I think, um, mm. I think it was a wall street driven economy, not a main street driven economy. And, and now, uh, and now, uh, main street's in danger. And so, you know, we're going to, um, you know, be in a situation where the sort of veil has, has been pulled back and, 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 uh, you know, again, it's going to be entrepreneurial nature. And then obviously like at Hero Smith, we have tons of resources to help people do that. That's the whole point of it. Um, and then, um, 
And then there's other resources out there, though, that I wanted to share with people, especially folks here in the Denver area. Um, one of them is actually a member here at Hero Smith, um, and they are they're called Colorado Lending Source, um, a great, great uh, SBA, a nonprofit SBA lender um, for for business owners out there who've tried, gone through the process of getting a trying to get an SBA loan or any sort of loan to grow your business through your traditional banks like the Wells and the Chases of the world, um, you have probably experienced what most people do, and that would be that uh, you get turned down. Essentially, for those huge banks, they want a little as little risk as possible. And then organizations like Colorado Lending Source step in um, as a nonprofit and can facilitate your sort of relationship with the SBA and 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 uh and they um can secure loans in fact we got a loan to start Harrowsmith through them so i can personally attest to them even though they're our client uh, now um we got a loan through them and uh um and they were great in that process um so you know they have an awesome uh resource that they created for uh to help business owners um for uh through this pandemic and you can find that at info.coloradolendingsource.org. Um, and it's a great little resource. They continually update it. Um, if you don't mind a, uh, a humble brag, we um, our, our website building platform, Alfred, was used to create this uh, landing pages or th- their, th- this landing page for them. They just have so many different resources, everything from SBA stuff, CDC guidance. Um, you know, they have local Colorado stuff, um, but some national stuff as well. And um, and and it's really it's it's really a, a really a great page. And so, if you are an entrepreneur, I'd encourage you checking out info.coloradolendingsource.org to get some. COVID, uh, um, you know, information, resources. Uh, you can even apply for the Paycheck Protection Program loan through through Colorado Lending Source now. So be sure to check them out. One other thing I wanted to mention um, is actually another Harrismith member called Renovair. Renovair is a really cool little company that uses some cutting-edge technology, the latest and greatest in um, disinfecting and odor remediation. Uh, you know, it's funny, like the entire time we've been working on this business together, they um, have been, we, we were focused on, on, on odor elimination because a lot of people go buy a house and, uh, or to sell a house. And, um, you know, grandma smoked for 25 years sitting in the living room and it smells terrible. And, um, you know, people just try to repaint and, and, and it, and it doesn't, it kills the smell for like five days and it comes right back. So, so we actually were kind of focused on the, on the, on that side of the business. Um, cause that is a really great option they have, but the equipment that they use and the technology that they've implemented in this, the systems and processes is pretty sweet. They can, they can literally kill mold germs, even viruses in an environment using some of this activated oxygen technology um that they have so if you are looking for um you know maybe you want to reopen your business or you want to sanitize your house on the regular um um, check out stopmyodor.com and uh that's a that's a great resource Um, no vaccines yet 
<laughs> right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. We're still still waiting for vaccines. Still waiting for all that stuff. And I think we're going to be waiting a while. So if you need to, um, if you want to, you know, um, kind of have a, if you have a business where people have to come in, you know, obviously not large groups at this point, but Renovare has some really cool options where they can come by multiple times a week and sanitize the entire space. And it's really affordable. So check them out at stopmyorder.com. One cool thing. This is one cool thing. So basically, every podcast, we're going to give you one cool thing. Something, uh, it's just a shout out. They're not sponsors or anything like that. Um, They're just something that can help an entrepreneur, or even if you're not an entrepreneur, um, help you have a better, uh, you know, make your your life easier in terms of technology and um, in terms of... uh, in terms of just making your life easier in terms of uh, technology and especially for business owners. So uh, my one cool thing today is um, an email app that I absolutely love. It has changed the way it's changed completely my relationship with email. I know, I don't know if you feel this as an entrepreneur, Deandre, but I spend an inordinate amount of time in a day doing email mm-hmm. Um and uh it can be a little overwhelming um so there's this super cool app out there to kind of streamline your email processes um and it's really intuitive it's called spark so spark yeah um like the idea like you know s-p-a-r-k and um it's i it is only for um it's only for Macs and and iOS. Unfortunately, I don't think they have a Google Play um, version yet. Um, but an incredible application. I mean, you can do one of the things I love about it is it's super easy to put like a legitimate um, a legitimate email signature. You know, I meet so many entrepreneurs and they got the uh, the old Gmail with a bunch of links and then uh, tiny little pictures of their social networks, <laughs> which which is probably a great way to get your uh, emails in the spam folder. But, um, <laughs> but spark is awesome. Uh, they, they, you know, one of the things I love about it for us entrepreneurs, we're always on the go. We're always moving around. Um, there's no way for someone, you know, all the features that you would have on your desktop application of spark uh, are available on your phone. So, you know, you don't get those emails. You know how when you email someone from your phone, it's like, sent for my iPhone and it doesn't kind of have your signature and doesn't look as good. One of the things I love about spark is that if you implement it in one place, it'll work on both and you can send official looking emails right from your phone. If you're traveling or something, the other, and probably their probably most notable feature that is incredible for anyone that works with teams is you can actually, they've integrated chat around email. So like my example, if you were to email me and ask me questions that I needed help from someone on my team, I can delegate that email to a, a different team member if I need them to take care of it. Um, or we, I can even just share that email and we can actually chat about it in a chat window sort of beneath the email, which I find really, I thought that was kind of a corny, dumb thing. Like, why would I want another messaging system? But it's really incredible because you can have a really contained conversation about the issue that the email Right. received raise right so that's super cool so check out spark they turns out they do have an android um version i don't think they're on windows yet as far as i can tell 
Um, but uh, Spark by, I believe it's pronounced Rettle or Riedel, um is the company that makes it uh, in your iOS store and your Google Play store. Um, just an incredible feature set, chatting, an uh, uh, email. Um, you can obviously schedule emails to be sent later. One of the other cool things they have is like little quick replies you can customize. Um, and I use this a lot. Basically, like if someone asks you a quick question, you could like make a, a little like almost like an emoji reply where it's like, sounds good, thumbs up or yes, let's do that. And then you just hit one button and it'll send that reply mm-hmm. real quick. So awesome. that can save a lot of time. Yes, um, so if you're looking for something to improve your email game, check out Spark. Um, super awesome email app. Highly recommend it. Maybe they'll 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 hook me up. Let me actually sponsor us someday. When right, we get, right. When we get that, that badass. Spark. Yeah, yeah. You were our oil. first one cool thing of the day. Um, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. So um, so that's really great. And then um, yeah. So uh, uh, that was awesome. I want to talk about. Uh, oh, we'll be giving out little tips and tricks uh, uh, along with um, uh, some some cool piece of tech um and could talk about events in that segment as well but um just something to make our lives easier in this crazy time so deandre uh let's talk about uh, what's been going on in the news man yeah man we got a lot going on with everything with the pandemic and obviously like i stated earlier a lot of cities and states starting to ease restrictions and they obviously have to take precautions and obviously there's a lot of um consequences that come with that yeah as well so with that being said it's been all kind of um, crazy headlines. I think most notably this week, uh, I've been able to speak with a lot of people that are familiar with this headline as far as um, Twitter becoming the first major tech company to allow employees to work remotely forever. Wow. Apparently, uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey informed staff earlier this week via email that they'll be able to continue working from home as long as they see fit, noting the past few months have proven we can make this work. So if our employees are in a role in a situation that enables them to work from home, and they want to continue to do so forever, we will make that happen. Nice. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, Shaq. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Jack has always been forward thinking. I mean, this guy uh, is a super entrepreneur. And uh, I think that's the new reality, like you were talking about before. I think that if you can, um, you got you pretty much got to give the option to your employees if it's, if it's at all possible. I think you have to do that. And I think, you know, my wife works from home and has for goodness, I think it's been almost six years now. And, 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 uh, and, and, you know, she's probably an exceptional case. Like I, here's the bottom line. Like I get it. I've been a manager. I've had teams beneath me and, um, you know, I, I get that people worry about the, um, Oh, they're going to be goofing off. And, um, and I, I think that worry is out the window now. I mean, every study that we've seen since the beginning of this pandemic um, has showed that people actually do more work and do more, uh, are more productive when uh, they're working from home. Um, and, you know, it's probably, maybe it's more spread out. I think, um, you know, I can attest to my wife, like, you know, I think business hours or something that. That's obviously like eroded over the last couple of years too. Like people regularly email each other mm-hmm. after six, seven. I mean, I get emails at ten thirty at night. And I actually don't care. I don't. I won't always reply to them, but mm-hmm. but uh, I don't mind getting them. And and I and you know, obviously look at them. And 
contemplate my response if I can't respond right then. But um, but I think that's really forward thinking. I think that if you if it's at all possible, you should be doing that right now. And um, I think, frankly, for the generation like your generation, DeAndre, you know that kind of millennial generation. I hate to lump you in there, but with your age, I think <laughs> yeah, you're in there solidly. So. Um, um, but I think that, that, that's a, that's a big benefit. You know, that's something that, that a lot of people in the millennial generation and, and certainly Gen Z are gonna, are gonna like, look, they're gonna, when they're picking where they can work, if they have, that's going to be a major perk. And I think even big old companies are finally starting to realize that it can be done. Now where the real challenge comes in is what if you're not a software company like Twitter essentially is. Right. I spent 17 years in the service industry and unless you're a bookkeeper or anybody on the administrative side, they physically need people at the register. They need cashiers. They need managers. They need servers. They need cooks. Right. So if your business model, if you're fortunate enough to fit in that lane, mm-hmm. it's obviously very convenient. And I just want to note too that Twitter is not eliminating in-person working arrangements, at least for right now. Um, They obviously have precautions in place whenever they do give their employees the option to do that. Because I believe there's going to be a short-term and a long-term strategy that that go with that type of decision as far as you have people such as your wife that are already accustomed to the luxury and flexibility of remote work. And then you also have people that were forced into a situation where Hopefully they were fortunate enough to work from home, but let's say they didn't have any work, but they were just forced to stay at home. Right. These people become restless. You see what Absolutely. I'm saying? And even if they do have work, these employees that are so used to that in-person interaction, they can find themselves to not only become restless, but to find the task pretty much monotonous. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. And, and there's definitely like, um, there's, I mean... Listen, I started a company where people collaborate directly together, and I think it's best done in person. Now we're 100% virtual capable now, and and uh, we've had some great breakthroughs with the business owners that we work with um, via Zoom and all that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 the fascinating thing is coming out of this or, or just as this new normal kind of takes hold, it's like, you know, I think companies are going to, start letting more people work from home, obviously. And then what happens to the commercial real estate market? Right. You know, companies such as uh, WeWorks, shift spaces. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to be able to operate with a limited occupancy. Right. You see what I'm saying? In terms of um, the people I have, obviously a trademark attorney that utilizes um, one of those shift workspaces. So it's going to be interesting to see how companies like that um, do operate moving forward. But then it's also going to be interesting to see um, how other major tech firms such as Facebook and Google decide to move forward. Um, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, yeah. all those other tech companies to see if they adopt a similar business model. Yeah, it's interesting. And then, uh, you know, I think obviously the tech companies are uniquely kind of positioned to do that in, a, in an easier way and, and obviously can adapt. You know, you look at a company like the one my wife works for, which I don't know if I should mention, but um, let's just put it this way. They're the world's largest bookseller. And they sell books in school libraries through things called fairs. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, companies like that, I mean, they're obviously, they, they've got to be freaking out because, um, well, there's no school right now. But even um, long term, I mean, they have a huge facility in their headquarters uh, down in Florida. And it's, you know, I don't know that that, the, you know, I, I think that a lot of companies are going to, 
there's going to be a lot of scaling back in the in terms of the amount of real estate the average company needs to consume and that's kind of great in the overall picture of things like long term that's probably a good thing right um i mean we've already seen like the impact on the environment that covid has had has been super positive um you know just the just a few weeks well eight weeks or whatever uh you know this the skies have uh kind of cleared up and then um and 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 our environment's improved a lot and i think that could even have long-term effects but but yeah so there's a good side but then it's also like well what happens to the, all these spaces that we have like right. I mean, there's these are, these are you know the building that the this company is in is you know probably 40 years old it's not like the, we can just uh you know uh you know delete them right. <laughs> you know it's right. not uh it's not tech it's it's a it's an actual space and then um yeah so it's going to be an interesting time i mean i know that uh you know, one of the great things about um, um, about America, I think, and and just even the the world we live in is, uh, you know, innovation is um, is what we do. You know, that's always been our hallmark here, um, especially as entrepreneurs. Absolutely, right. us entrepreneurs are especially um, uh, in that uh, mode and mindset all the time. Um, so yeah, so like uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see. Like, I'm maybe we'll come up with uh, some kind of good uh, solution to um, to utilize all this space. But I, I, there's so much stuff up in the air um, that I think that uh, you know some things you just have to be like, well, it's a it's a wait and see thing, right? But, but I think that's a good move by by Jack. Most definitely. Um, another headline that caught my attention um, earlier this week as well is. Uber is now discussing a takeover deal with Grubhub, valued at roughly $6 billion, according to Wall Street Journal. Uber Technologies, Inc. and Grubhub, Inc. are in talks over an acquisition that would have Grubhub, according once again to Wall Street Journal, in the billion-dollar figure. Um, This is obviously an already crowded and low-margin food delivery space. And with Uber already having Uber Eats, I wanted to get your thoughts on the acquisition, the potential acquisition itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously, I think that the, you know, with the pandemic, you know, these kind of delivery uh, businesses and, and even rideshare company, I mean, the, these rideshare companies are, are, are struggling. I, I, I can't remember if you, I think you even did some Uber driving in your past, right? At Absolutely. One point. And so, uh, you know, that's not happening right now. <laughs> I mean, not, not, not for the most part. I mean, obviously, it's going to slowly states start opening up again i i saw a obvious uber driver with a turbo uh you know uh covid mask on the other day like a like a high-tech looking like bane <laughs> from batman kind of yeah. looking thing i'm like hey kudos to that guy you know like right. taking the precautions that would make me feel more comfortable but anyway i think what they're trying to do is um you know obviously everyone's kind of putting their flagpole in the in the moon here and uh and trying to um uh stake out their market share and you know i don't know i haven't looked at the, obviously the numbers for uber eats but the, this the, would grubhub would essentially be absorbed probably under the uber eats brand and um i think this is this is uber diversi- diversifying you right. know they're, they're they're they can't be um a people driving around people business and listen we know if, if you know anything about those kinds of business models the that wasn't their aim. Their aim is not to 
have people drive around people. Their aim is to eventually have AI driven cars um, that uh, that just pick you up and take you where you need to go and then move on and pick up the next person. So um, the acquisition of Grubhub, I think, would be uh, right in line with that vision. Because, you know, if you could have AI, you know, you know, cars delivering food, you, you go outside, you, you know, I don't know, the compartment opens, you grab your, 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 uh, Szechuan noodles or whatever, and, and, and hits and, and, and you've already paid online or whatever. It's it, I think that's what they're doing. I think they're just planning for that immediate, uh, you know, near term future where people, you know, if this thing comes back, people are, they're going to be devastated again. And with food delivery being huge, I mean, it's crazy. Spike. Yeah. It's a great, Generally, I'm kind of happy about. Uh, I'm kind of happy that the one small bright spot is that that's kind of saving our restaurants is uh, is probably um, the aspect of uh, um, that food delivery being so readily available with DoorDash and, and GrubHub and all those things. So, right, um, it's certainly not like being open. Yeah. I mean, revenue for those businesses is certainly down, but boy, without without those kind of businesses, uh, that would be insane. Right. That'd be crazy, yeah. Absolutely. And then the final um, headline that I wanted to bring to everybody's attention, because this has been out there for the longest time, even pre-C-virus um, pandemic, if you will, is the U.S. Postal Service's um, future. Because the post office has been losing billions of dollars um, a year after year after year for many years now. The agency is projected to run out of cash by the end of the fiscal year in September without help from Congress and the administration. And this is obviously due to, in part, uh, the result of COVID-19. Um, Certainly not helping things. It doesn't, right? obviously, it doesn't help anything. Right. Yeah, this is near and dear to my heart. Uh, you know, I, I think it was John Oliver did an incredible, you know, he just does these amazing segments on where he deep dives into an issue for like 20 minutes. And I would encourage you to, to Google uh, John Oliver post office segment. Uh, but it, it was really eye-opening i mean his stuff always is but it was really fascinating i mean so many small businesses rely yes. on the post office myself included i have a p.o box with the usps so if they run out of business here in september um i'll have to utilize other options but once again as entrepreneurs we always try to find the silver lining and everything and they have virtual p.o boxes nice yeah they do have that and uh and and things like that but the thing is is if you look at the cost disparity between for like shipping um between a fedex and uh, a ups and the, the post office it's incredible it's massive i mean you know the conservative idea of like hey we're just gonna we're just gonna um you know privatize everything and 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 you know they have to compete um for for business like everybody else um you see, I mean, try to mail a package, uh, FedEx versus USPS, and you know we're talking. It's not a small difference. We're talking, you know, ten, twenty dollar difference easily on a case by case basis. And um, you know, listen, the 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 it's not it's the the ridiculous thing about this whole thing that I didn't realize is that it's not really the post office's fault that they're in this predicament. We might think, well, why don't they just raise their prices? Well, guess what? There's a law against them raising their prices. Mm-hmm. In 2006, there was a law, I can't remember the name of it, that that was passed, and it basically hamstrung the Postal Service. They can't raise their own rates without approval. Um, right. And uh, and then basically, they have to pay it, their expenses, like their, their pensions yes. and things like that, 
50 years in advance. Right. I do want to note that it's a self-supporting independent federal agency. It's the only service or delivery service that reaches every single address in the nation. And that's around 155 million residences. So if you do start to lean more so toward the private couriers, we're going to have limitations and restrictions on those. It's literally the only way some people get packages. Think about it. Uh, I know in the city we can get packages like six ways to Sunday, but but out in the country and in parts of Colorado, uh, the rural parts of Colorado, no, it, it's not going to happen. Uh, the, the, those services, it's it's when you have a profit driven business, well, there's nothing wrong with that, of course, um, like FedEx and UPS, um, they're not going to deliver to the 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 far corners of of any of these uh, rural areas. And that is a huge expense. That is a big problem for, I mean, imagine if uh, a farmer who desperately needs a piece of equipment can't get it delivered to his house. So then he's got to drive, what, two hours to the nearest town and spend time in there and go into some sort of UPS store to get this thing, pay more. So it's taking away from his business, his farm, and, and uh, you know, they're going to have to pay more, obviously, to, to receive that package. That's not tenable. We need to support the post office in the United States. In fact, we should actually, what they really should do, and, and, and John Oliver pointed this out, uh, there's a lot of options. There's things that the post office could do besides being just a post office. They could be a bank. You know, a lot of people have, uh, especially in um, economically disadvantaged communities, they have banking issues. Banks don't typically want to be in those. So you get people relying on check cashing stores, which are largely scams, in my humble opinion. For legal reasons, I say that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, you, so you got them, depending on these high interest uh, you know, check cashing places with high fees, uh, why not turn the post office? I mean, it actually was a bank at one point in American history, and it worked quite well. And you could, and with a post office, literally, you know, uh, within a, probably, I don't know what the exact stats is, but I would imagine there's probably a post office within 10 miles of the vast majority of Americans, um, or at least that would deliver to their house. Um, that's a great option, you know, check cashing, uh, money orders, selling, these are all profit generating things that they could do. And, uh, and, and, and the ridiculous of, of, of the Trump administration to, to try to, you know, because Amazon uses the post office and has a good relationship with them, probably one of their biggest customers of right. the U S post office and uh, Trump's hatred of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, Amazon, uh, that is the, the exact kind of terrible leadership that got us in, frankly into this predicament that we're in with COVID at this point, at least part of it. Well, what do you think, DeAndre? We got it in the can, man. We got one in the can here. It's been a great inaugural podcast. It's been awesome connecting with you and, and spending this time. I can't wait to our next one. DeAndre Dow, tell them what you're all about, DeAndre. No cat dot world. You already know this. The head honcho, the big cheese, brain ambassador. Dot world coming soon. Nice. Awesome. I want to thank Pine Tree Janitorial Service for our theme music. Uh, it's called All My Complaints. Very apropos for us. Check them out at pinetreejs.com or, you know, Spotify. Uh, hit the hit the repeat. Let it play all night while you're sleeping. Help us support these artists, you know? 
All right, we'll see you next time. This has been Live from the Vault.